Well, good morning, church. Good morning. It is so good to see you all here. If you're joining us here for the first time, a special welcome to you. We're so glad you've chosen to worship with us here this morning. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up with me to Luke chapter 8. We are in the middle of a series called Living My Best Life, and the tagline is Exploring the Abundant Life of Christ. And last week, we looked at a passage of Scripture in Luke chapter 8 to examine the quality of our souls. Because in many ways, I would, I would suggest to you that the quality of our soul determines the quality of our lives. The quality of our soul oftentimes determines the quality of our lives. And so we spent some time looking at three different types of souls using the three different types of terrain that Jesus mentioned in the parable of the sower in Luke 8. And so last week we looked at the path and we talked about the hardened soul. We looked at the rocks and we talked about the shallow soul. And we looked at the thorns and we talked about the distracted soul. And we did some self-assessment or soul assessment in identifying where the condition of our soul might be in this current season of our lives. By the way, if you missed that message, you can watch it on our website or subscribe to our podcast and listen to it there. But, but today we're going to jump into part two of the depths of our soul. And we're going to look at the fourth and final type of terrain that Jesus mentions in this parable. And so let's dive right in. Uh, meet me at Luke chapter 8, uh, verse 4. We're going to read through this text one more time. For those of you, you who were with us last week, uh, you're familiar with this. Let this be a refresher. And uh, we'll also put the text up here on the screen as well if you like to read along with us that way. Luke chapter 8, verse 4, it says this. And when a great crowd was gathering and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, now this is Jesus speaking, and he begins to say, A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now jump down to verse 11. And this is where Jesus begins to explain this parable. In verse 11, he says this. Now, the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. And the ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. That's the hardened soul that we talked about last week. Verse 13, and the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy, but these have no root. They believe for a while and in time of testing fall away. And this is identified as the shallow soul. We talked about that last week. And, and as for that, uh, as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. And we call that the distracted soul. Last verse, verse 15. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. Friends, if there is any type of soul you want to identify with, I suggest it be this one, the healthy soul, 
the healthy soul. That's the fourth and final type of soul that Jesus mentions here. Now, I described each of the previous souls with a one-sentence description, right? The hardened soul is resistant to change. The shallow soul uh, cannot withstand trials and hardships. The distracted soul chases after lesser gods. And I, and I provided a one-sentence description for, for the previous souls. But for the healthy soul, the good soil, Jesus actually indicates several things about the healthy soul that I like to look at here this morning. And so I'm not going to give a one-sentence description here. Rather, I'd like to unpack what Jesus, uh, how Jesus describes the healthy soul here in verse 15. In verse 15, Jesus says this, As for that in the good soil, okay, the healthy soul, they are those who, hearing the word. Now, now pause right there for a minute. Now, hearing the word alone is not what makes the good soil good soil, friends. It is not enough to just come to church and hear a message and, and, and think to yourself, well, I'm good soil now. I'm, I'm a healthy soul. Because Jesus mentions that all of the previous types of people, the path, the rocks, the thorns, they all heard the word. The difference is their response was fundamentally different. They all responded to the word of God differently. And now notice what Jesus says. As for that in the good soil, they are those who hear in the word. Here it is. Number one, hold it fast. Friends, if you want to develop a healthy soul, it is vital that you and I, number one, hold fast to God's word. We hold fast to God's word. And some other translations use terms like keep God's word, retain God's word, cling to or hold on to God's word. You see, what Jesus is trying to get at is a healthy soul is someone who cherishes and values God's opinions, God's thoughts, His truth, His feelings on all matters of life. That at the end of the day, the only opinion that matters most in our lives is God's opinion. Listen, friends, you can tell a lot about the condition of a person's soul by examining how they weigh God's opinions in their lives. You see, the, for one, the hardened soul, the hardened soul could care less about what God thinks. For the hardened soul, the only opinion that matters to them is their own. God's opinion and what, they, what he thinks matters very little to the hardened soul. The shallow soul is highly selective as to how they weigh God's opinion. If you remember in the text, Jesus says the shallow soul hears the word, and what do they do? They receive it with joy at first, right? Like, that seems good. They, they receive it with joy at first, but that's important. Don't miss this. You see, the shallow soul is willing to hear God's thoughts and God's opinion and allow him to speak into their lives so as long as it brings them joy. Did you catch that? As long as it, it doesn't demand any personal change, as long as it doesn't challenge them in any ways, well then, I will receive God's opinion, His thoughts, His words with great joy and delight. You see, the shallow soul is selective in how they weigh God's opinions. They'll take the ones that make their lives easier, but the ones that are challenging to them, well, those they'll leave behind. The, the distracted soul, what about the distracted soul? The distracted soul puts God's opinion as the secondary opinion. 
You see, they don't, they don't reject God's opinion and his thoughts altogether. They, they just categorically put it as the secondary opinion in their lives. It's not that God opin- God's opinion doesn't matter. It's just that it doesn't matter as much as the opinions of others. You see, for the distracted soul, they're so busy trying to win the approval of man that they have a really hard time hearing the approval of their heavenly Father, which, by the way, they already have. They already have the approval and the the praise of their Father, but the distracted soul, remember, is so busy chasing after lesser gods that they are busy trying to win the approval of man. But in contrast to all of that, the healthy soul is someone who upholds God's thoughts as the single most primary important thought in their lives. That God's opinion is the highest opinion of order in their lives. And the only way to get to that place is to hold fast to God's word. Can I give you just a a quick point of application on how we might go about holding fast to God's word. Okay, now now look, I'm I'm not suggesting you walk around campus clutching onto your Bible wherever you go, right? That's not what I'm talking about when I'm talking about holding fast to God's word. In fact, let me put it this way for you. I wanna, I wanna present to you God's word in 3D. That's, that's, how I'll, that's how I like to think about this, God's word in 3D. If you're like me, there are many times when, when you open up the Bible and, and it just feels flat, right? Like you're reading scripture and it just feels flat, one-dimensional. And God's word is supposed to be active and living, right? As the writer of Hebrews tells us, and so I want to provide for you just some, some quick points of application on, on how to approach God's Word that would cause it to come alive in sort of a three-dimensional effect. So God's Word in 3D. And incidentally, it so happens to be that these are three action steps that start with the letter D, okay? And so uh, I don't mean to be corny. I, I, it's meant to be clever, okay? So hopefully you find it that way. God's Word in 3D. The first D is this. Dwell on the Word. If you want God's word to come alive, if you want to hold fast to God's word, you got to dwell on the word. Other words or other concepts for this might be meditate, marinate, memorize God's word. Friends, you cannot treat God's word like a to-do item. I've mentioned this in past, but, but, but I think it's worth mentioning again. You cannot treat God's word like a to-do item. And when you think about a, a, a to-do item, how do you treat to-do items? You try to get through it as quickly as you can so that you can check that bad boy off your list so that you can get to your next to-do item, right? And, and the problem is when we put God's word, when we put reading scripture or our devotional time or, or our time is studying God's word on our to-do list and we try to get through it as quickly as we can, we treat God's word in a way that it was never intended to be treated, you see, God's word was intended to be, to be dwelt upon. To, to God, God says to, to Joshua, meditate on my word. He doesn't say, check through my word as quickly as you can. No, he says, meditate on it, marinate in it, dwell on God's word. And here's what you'll find, friends. When you give God the space to speak, he will speak through his word. I promise you that. 
But I wonder if there are people who are missing the voice of God and the Word of God because we're treating Scripture like a to-do item and you're in such a hurry to check it off your to-do list. Paul tells us in Colossians 3.16, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Friends, we've got to dwell on the Word. If we want to hold fast to God's Word, we must dwell on the Word. Number two, the second D After you dwell on the word, you've got to digest the word. You've got to digest the word. It's like having a good meal, right? After a good meal, you've got to digest what you just ate. And some ways of doing that, let me me just offer up just some practical ways of even digesting the word. Uh, One way to do that is to process the word in community. Process the word in community. So in other words, join a small group, uh, join a life group here at ACF, join a Bible study, wherever you might be. Just join a small group and you will be amazed at how God speaks to you through other people's revelation of his word. I have been in group settings where, where I'm reading scripture and I might not be gleaning any revelation from it, but someone else, another brother of mine, is hearing God speak to him through the word, through the same scripture text, and, and, and they begin to share it, and, and God ministers to my heart. God blesses me. God speaks to me through the revelation of someone else as they read God's word, and that is group learning at its finest. And so that's why we encourage you to join a small group, join a life group here, because we want to process the word in community. That's how, that's one way we digest the word. Another way to digest the word would be to journal your findings. And so have a notebook or have a notepad or, or have a, get a Bible with some note-taking margins on the side and write down things that jump out at you as you read scripture. Maybe it's a word or maybe it's a phrase or maybe it's a thought that comes to your mind. Friends, don't ignore those thoughts. That could be the Holy Spirit downloading something to you and saying something to you in real time as you're reading God's word. And so don't skim through the word. Okay, don't treat the Bible like your textbook. Don't, don't skim through it. Read it and process it and keep an account of it. Journal your findings. That's, one way to, that's another way to digest the word. Uh, another way to digest the word, let me just offer, offer up this, this last way. Pray it back. Pray it back. Listen, I don't mean to get gross here, but, but regurgitate God's word, right? Like pray the word back to God. As you read the word, pray it back to God. In premarital counseling, my wife and I, we will often tell couples that the, significant, the significance and value of, of getting to the habit of active listening. In, in other words, don't just passively listen, but actively listen. Let the person know you're listening to them by reiterating what they've said to you, by, by reiterating what you're hearing them say to you. So, so I hear you saying this. And say back to them, this enables the words of the conversation to really sink deep into your heart. And and that's what we're doing when we're praying the word uh, back to God. We're, We're getting into the habit of actively listening to the word of God. So pray it back. Those are just some ways that, that I've learned to digest the word of God in my own life. So dwell on the word. Digest the word. And finally... You got to do the word. You got to do the word. 
You see, we've got to move in, in, in Christian circles and in church life. I think a lot of us have upheld Bible study as, as a noble task, right? As something important. And it is. It absolutely is. But I'm afraid that many of us have stopped at Bible study. And we've got to move beyond just Bible study and move into Bible living. We've got to live out what we're studying and what we're reading, Jesus has a whole section on this in Matthew 7 where he he essentially says the way you activate the word of God in your lives is by obeying it. Don't be like that guy who builds his house on the sand, right? Just listening to the word or just just knowing the word. But but no, the the guy who builds his house on the rock, be that guy. And that's the guy who hears the word and obeys it. Learning the word is just the first part. Studying the word is just the first part. Friends, we need to learn to do the word. And so that's God's word in 3D. I hope that's helpful and uh, just a practical point of application that maybe can can cause God's word to come alive in you. And, And those are some ways that we can hold fast to God's word. But then Jesus goes on to say, as for that in the good soil, they are those who hear the word, they hold it fast, Here it is, number two, in an honest and good heart. Friends, here's a second way we develop a healthy soul in our lives. We gotta learn to live in the light. We've gotta learn to live in the light. You see, when Jesus says, hold fast to God's word in an honest and good heart, he's talking about living our lives in the light. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, think about this, what does light do? Well, for one, it exposes the darkness, right? Light exposes the darkness. You come into a room, you flip on the light switch. What does it do? Light shines and it exposes the darkness. Friends, hear me. It is impossible to have a healthy soul in the dark. Nothing healthy and life-giving grows in the dark. You want to know what grows in the dark? Sin. Sin grows in the dark. But the abundant life of Christ cannot grow in the dark. It's only when we bring the entirety of our lives out of darkness that God can then fill our lives with his light. Friends, if you've known me any length of time or if you've met with me or my wife at any point in time, you'll know this about us. This is a core conviction of ours. One of the ways that we always encourage people to live in the light is to simply be painfully and brutally honest. Just be ruthlessly raw and real. Be honest with what you're feeling. Be honest with your struggles. Be honest with your sins. Be honest about your insecurities. Be honest about your shortcomings and failures. Be honest with one another. And hear me, be honest with yourself. (laughs) Be honest with yourself. And perhaps that is one of the hardest things for us as a people to do. It's incredible how dishonest we can be with ourselves. So often we fool ourselves into thinking that we are far better off than we actually are. That's why so many of us in this day and age hate to talk about sin. Because sin implies that there is something wrong with us. And I don't like to think that about me. I don't want to think that about you. And so we don't like to think that about ourselves at all. But listen to what 1 John 1 says. 1 John 1 says, God is light. Okay, here's this concept of living the light again. And in him is no darkness at all. Verse 6, he says, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, 
we lie. We lie and do not practice the truth. But, but on the contrary, if we walk in the light, right? If we live in the light, this is what we're talking about, living in the light. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Okay, so, so again, if we live in the light, we, we've got this, this, this holistic living of, of we got fellowship with one another. There is this horizontal connection point and then there is this vertical connection point with God. The blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And now listen to what it says here in verse eight. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. He couldn't, the, 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 the Apostle John couldn't be more clear. He says, if we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. Friends, hear me. The problem for many of us isn't that we sin. The problem is that many of us are not honest with our sinfulness. But the next verse shows us the incredible news that follows. If we get ruthlessly honest, with ourselves. He says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So the fear that we feel, that many of us feel around being honest about our junk, honest about our shadow side, honest about our sin nature, our flaws, our deep wounds and our hurts and pain. Jesus says to that, you don't have to worry about any of that because my blood has covered it all. It has cleansed you from all unrighteousness. All you need to do is just be honest because an honest heart is the most direct way into the light. Can I, can I share with you some light shedding questions here this morning? For those of you who want to learn to walk in the light, I would, I would suggest ask yourself the following questions. Number one, are my confessions current? Are my confessions current? Have I brought before God my latest habitual sins? Have I brought before God my latest vices that, 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 that grip me, my latest sins that entangle my life? Are my confessions current? Number two, do I have people in my life who know about my deepest struggles? Or am I just kind of struggling alone? Or am I not even honest about my struggles? Do I have people in my life who know about my deepest struggles? Number three, is there an area of my life that I have not given God full access to? <laughs> this is a big one for some of us. Some of us claim to be followers of Jesus and Jesus says, I want your all. And we're like, Jesus, I want to follow you, but I, I'm afraid I can't give you my all. I'm going to give you the parts that I'm comfortable with, the parts that I'm not. I'm just going to hold back and keep to myself for a little while. Is there an area of my life that I have not given God full access to? If there are areas in your life that you have not given God full access to, my friends, you are still living in darkness. It's time to bring it into the light. Number four, are there any secrets about myself that I'm hiding from others? Are there any secrets about myself that I'm hiding from others? 
My wife, Nicole, she likes to say it this way. Secrets don't make friends, they make babies. I still don't understand what that means, but, but that's uh, secrets are not healthy for our souls, right? Are there any secrets about myself that I'm hiding from others? Last one, number five. If someone were to shine a light into my life, would they find anything surprising? If someone were to shine a light into my life, would they be surprised at what they find? Friends, if you want a healthy soul, you've got to learn to live in the light. Your best life cannot be lived in the dark. If you want to live in the abundant life of Christ, you've got to learn to live in the light. Finally, Jesus says, As for that in the good soil, there are those who hear in the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart. And here it is, number three, and bear fruit with patience. If you want to cultivate a healthy soul, you must wait patiently and expectantly. You must wait patiently and expectantly. You see, in the story, it's not explicitly here stated here, but, but the sower who is sowing the seed expects the seed to grow. Remember, Jesus is speaking in an agricultural environment and, and, and sowers and farmers and, and, and folks, when they went out to the field to sow their seeds, they went out spreading and sowing the seed, expecting the seed to grow, right? There's a certain expectancy that the sower has when he scatters the seed. And in the same way, a healthy soul, a person with a healthy soul expects to see God move in their lives. They, they just expect God to move. But they are also simultaneously patient in their waiting for God to move. Friends, I wish I had more time to unpack this. this to me, this is just a really fascinating tension, a fascinating study that I'd like to spend more time on. But for the sake of time, I'll just touch upon this briefly. That a healthy soul knows how to wait patiently and expectantly simultaneously. You see, healthy souls, they've mastered the balance of waiting patiently, but also looking forward expectantly. Now think about this for a minute. If you're anything like me, if you're expecting something, don't, don't you get antsy and impatient, right? Like if you're, if you're waiting for an Amazon package to come, if you're looking out for the, the you know, uh, your, your, your package that you just ordered to come, you're looking out for the UPS truck, you're looking out for the FedEx truck to come around your block, or you're tracking your package online, seeing where it is, right? And you get impatient. You want it now. If you ordered food to be delivered to your place, you're checking your watch. And, and with every minute that passes, you grow more and more impatient, right? And you keep looking at the door. Keep, you know, you listen for the doorbell. In fact, some of you get so impatient. You go out, you check your doorbell, right? You're like, is this thing working? Like maybe I missed it. Like you get impatient. Or think about this. When, when you were a kid, remember like trying to go to sleep on the night of Christmas Eve? I mean, that was impossible. That was like an impossible thing to keep your eyes closed because you couldn't wait for Christmas morning. You see, when we expect something, our tendency is to get real impatient and want it now. And so expectancy and patience on this side of heaven often seem to be at odds against each other, but not according to God. Not in God's economy. In fact, 
I got to confess, I don't really love this about God, but I've just come to embrace it as as part of just sort of my faith journey and walking with God. Friends, you got to understand, God loves to take his time to do his work in us. God loves to take his time to do his work in us. Think about this. 40 years in the desert. 120 years to build an ark and wait for floodwaters. 25 years to wait for a child that was promised to a barren couple. 13 years of working in Potiphar's house before becoming a ruler. 15 years of of living as a shepherd boy before the world would know him as King David. 400 years between Malachi and Matthew. Hear me, friends, when God works, He takes His time. And people with healthy souls learn to manage the tension of waiting expectantly while bearing fruit with patience. And oh, I pray that God would give us the grace to learn to wait patiently and expectantly. So how do we develop a healthy soul? We hold fast to God's word. We learn to live in the light and we wait patiently and expectantly. Now, as we wrap up this message, can I give you just just one final takeaway as we bring this message to a close? I, I just love to give you this one final piece. No matter the condition of your soul, whether you're a hardened soul, shallow soul, a distracted soul, whatever the condition of your soul, make it a habit today to run to the Father. Make it a habit, no matter where you find the condition of your soul, make it a habit to run to the Father in heaven because He is the only one that can turn a hardened soul into a tender soul. He is the only one that can take a shallow soul and turn it into a deeply rooted soul. He is the only one that can take a distracted soul and turn it into an attentive soul. Your Father in heaven knows the condition of your soul more intimately than you can ever imagine. And He wants to do a work of developing a healthy soul inside of every single one of you, but that requires you to run to him, to run to the Father. And so would you run to the Father today and and let the great heart surgeon do his work in you and in me?